The following message was given by Mark Beckton on Sunday, November 12th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Jimmy opened with Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. I want us to look at it again. So get your Bibles, open them up to that. and Look what it says in, in verse 19. And then in verse 20 also. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's actually an Old Testament picture of the tabernacle and temple. Where Jesus in heaven, the perfect tabernacle, perfect temple, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He has gone because through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's the first. And also pictures for us that is our destiny as followers of him. He started it, we get to follow thereafter. On our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The, the beauty of what we've seen so far in Hebrews is that God has inspired the writer to be so gifted in timely transitions in the writing. You saw this with me. We came to the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and we were called spiritually immature. It was the great setup for chapter 6 which talks about spiritual maturity. And now we come to the end of chapter 6 and he wants to give us a picture how our security is solely in Christ and so he brings back up Melchizedek. So what we're going to do for the remainder of this time is focus on <coughs> what is, excuse me <coughs> what is the main intent desire for the writing of the book of Hebrews. You find it in verse 8 chapter 8 verse 1. It's seeing Jesus as our ultimate high priest in heaven. That is, according to that verse, the main point of Hebrews. And a scholar named William Barclay explains why. Uh, you're going to find in the book of Hebrews the term priest or priests uh, 25 times just in chapters 7 through 10. Priests. Melchizedek of priests. William Barclay writes the following. The Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. The priest was a man whose function was to build a bridge between men and God by means of the sacrificial system. A man broke the law, his fellowship with God was interrupted, and his access to God was barred. By the offering of the correct sacrifice, that breach of the law was atoned for and so the fellowship was restored and the barrier removed. Knowing that the priest was to be the bridge builder and the sacrificial system of the bridge, right now we have before us in chapter 7 an important picture of salvation. This chapter focuses on Jesus as our high priest. He is the ultimate bridge builder to God. And he compares him to all the Old Testament priests and that sacrificial system. The, the beauty of chapter 7 
And the benefit for us is we get to see again how God intended what we read in the Old Testament to be a shadowing of Christ. Anytime there is a shadow uh, in the early service, the sunlight comes in pretty bright. And so um, there could be a shadow here of me extending out. That is the shadow, but the object of the shadow would be me. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament priests and the sacrificial system was the shadow of the light that would be shed on Christ. It is a beautiful picture. And so we're going to look at the, the foreshadowing of what we're calling the perfect bridge builder, Christ himself. Uh, I have a horrible tendency when watching mysteries with my family. I really like to get ahead of everybody else and figure out who the villain is. And then just announce, I, I know who it is. <laughs> but to be candid, uh, I actually like it more. Oh, thank you, Raymond, very much, brother. I like it even more uh, when the writer ha has kept it such a mystery that I don't know to the end. Because at that point, I, I want to go back and start seeing all the clues that have been left and why I missed that. That's the beauty of the Old Testament and in reference to Christ. Uh, you'll find Christ uh, particularly uh, in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. Let's start there. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation, this is Melchizedek, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness and then he's also king of Salem and that is by translation king of peace he is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling to that resembling the son of God he continues a priest forever so we'll get into this sense of without genealogy and continuing forever in just a moment. But Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a copy in the shadow of Christ as our high priest of heaven. This is the description of Melchizedek. He is the king of righteousness. Now we, we talked about this before. He's given two titles, a priest and a king. And, and he's the only one in, in scripture other than Christ who's called priest and king. And the father purposed that. So again, the shadow would be of Christ who is both priest and king. The names of Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. Uh, this word for righteousness is a powerful word. Uh, you, you remember uh, in Psalm 23 where it says, lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, the, these paths of righteousness, like the name given here, basically mean paths that are natural to God. And this word for righteousness as a tribute to Melchizedek gives us an idea of the picture of the righteousness of God. Because the word itself by Hebrew simply means this is the way it should be. The word means to, to cut right boundaries. Much like the acreage that you would have. Everybody understands what an acre is because everybody knows this is the right acreage boundary. When you start doing the scales, you're trying to measure out different chemicals. You know this is what the scale should say. Everybody goes by these scales. So these measurements should be right. Uh, even in the Arab culture, when they would take a bite of a date, 
if they take a bite of a delicious date, they would use this word to say, this is the way the date is supposed to taste. It's right. And the beautiful thing about this with Melchizedek is basically pointing us to the rightness of Christ. This is the way a bridge builder to God should be. But also it says he's our king of peace. I love being at the gravesides where I will quote John 14, 1-3. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus will go on to say, the peace that I'm going to give to you in this is not as the world gives. It's a peace associated with Christ. It's a right peace. And anytime you see righteousness and peace talked about in the New Testament, you'll find that in um, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and Romans chapter 14 verse 17. The funny thing is that righteousness is always mentioned before peace. And it seems so appropriate. Because you and I cannot experience the peace of God. Without first acknowledging the rightness of Jesus Christ. Who he is and all that he has done. So we're looking at this at Melchizedek. It also highlights his character. Uh, However, because of the persecution that's happening to the recipients of this letter. Remember, these are Jewish believers. uh, They are now considering hiding their surrender or contemplating returning solely to the beliefs held uh, since Moses and Aaron. That's the reason why we go now into verses 6 through 10. Look what it says. But this man who does not have his descendant from them received the tithes from Abraham. He didn't have his descendancy or his genealogy from the tribe of Levi. We're going to find out more about this. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself for whom the tribe was named, and their tribe of priests, who received tithes, paid tithes, through Abraham. For he, Jesus Christ, was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Basically, you and I understand the promise that God made to Abraham. From you will come a great nation. All of the peoples of the world will be blessed. Because it is from Abraham that you see the genealogy that comes in Matthew and in Luke. Showing us Christ who became our salvation. So all of this is saying this. I know it sounds like a lot of legal jargon to try to wade through. So let me just say it this way. Just remember that Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. And by giving 10% of his spoils to Melchizedek. And by receiving a blessing for him. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, acknowledges... Melchizedek as superior to him. And since Moses and Aaron are descendants of Abraham, they too must acknowledge that Melchizedek is superior bridge builder, is a superior bridge builder to God, even superior to Aaron. And the multiple priests that followed Aaron. 
All right, that's a little bit of a history lesson in, in Old Testament. And I can remember my history professor. I love this about him. He would go through a piece of history and then just stop for a moment and say, Oh, I feel a sermon coming on. <laughs> and as I was going through this, I just have to say, Oh, I feel a sermon coming on. And then I realize I'm actually preaching a sermon. <laughs> uh, what I want to say is um, my seminary degree was in preaching. And uh, part of that was to read the history of great preachers and their preaching. You know what's unique about the great preachers and their preaching? They're no longer here. They have a season of life. They have an epoch in which they may influence, an era in which they, they, their voice may echo. But after a season, it's just the writing. And not all benefit from that. The, the beauty of Christ as our superior high priest is that there is no beginning or end to him. And that's the reason we have this unique statement about Melchizedek. You remember what it says about him in verse 3? He is Melchizedek without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or uh, of days or end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. No, he, he, he's not an immortal. God just purposely did not give us his genealogy. God did not tell us his family line. Neither did God show us that there was any uh, posterity after him. There wasn't a line of priests. God purposed that for us. Because it, it basically says, all we can see is that his priesthood continues as a priest. Because we don't have a beginning or an end in historical record. And the father purposed that because he's simply a model of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And as he stands before God as the bridge builder of our salvation interceding for us. It is an endless act on his behalf. A beautiful priesthood solely in Christ. And we need that. And that's where we get to now when we get in, into the text some more we, we need to talk about why we need Christ as the bridge and to, to get an idea of why we need this let me give you the history of a particular bridge it was around the 1850s uh, most thought it would be impossible to bridge what was then called the Niagara River Gorge uh, that separated Canada and the United States but there, there around the 1850s early in, the, in that period uh, the, the surveyors began to try to figure out why this was impossible. The gorge itself was 825 feet across. It plummeted 200 feet, and that was a, a challenge of its own. But what really made it challenging was what was beneath it, the flowing of the Niagara River. And if you get an idea of the force of that, uh, 37.4 million gallons of water per minute thundered over the falls, revealing the power of this surging river. So it wasn't just the gap between, it wasn't just the height, is the foundations. How can you really secure this so that there be a bridge? And then you, you get into the gentleman who actually did it. His name is James Roebling. And when he, he talked about it, he said, the best way to do this is with a suspension bridge. And everybody thought he was crazy. There have been places where those were, were set up and, and people died. And so this was his statement. Well, actually, we'll get that a little bit 
Let's look at the text first. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 through 14. Here's why I'm telling you all this. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. For under it uh, the, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? If the Levitical priesthood is working, we don't need somebody after Melchizedek like him. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is of necessity a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, not Levi. And in connection with the tribe of Moses, said nothing about the priests. Uh, When we were in chapter 5, remember we talked about maturity? And how that was a Greek word that also means to be perfect. Uh, you're going to find in a thesaurus of this particular Greek word translated um, maturity, perfect, or perfection. That here's what it says basically as a thesaurus. It's, it's a means, it means to achieve. It means fulfillment. It means completion. It means a superior stage. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, it says that God perfected Jesus through suffering. It means that he perfected, he completed it. He achieved through Christ's suffering what God intended for Christ. Which is basically the bridge that you and I get to enjoy in salvation. So having said that, let's go back then to James Roebling. The people were afraid because there have been uh, suspension bridges in England and France that snapped Pedestrians fell to their death. So they're questioning, are you crazy? You can't use suspension bridge. This is his reasoning for using it. He says, there are no safer bridges than those built on the suspension principle. If built understandingly. And none more dangerous if constructed with an imperfect knowledge of the principles of equilibrium. If you understand the math. There's no better way of making this work than a suspension bridge. But if you do the math wrong, your calculations are off. What you build will be off. If your understanding of how to have a relationship with God is not based on biblical principles with which Christ is the centerpiece of them all, you will not be able to experience the relationship that fulfillment, that achievement, that completion, that maturing in Christ that you long for with God. That's what he's trying to say even to these Hebrew followers at this time. So he he wants to go further and he will in verses 20 through 28 but he, he stops for a little bit in verses 15 through 19 just to it chides them a little bit. Listen to what he says. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. But by the power of an indestructible life. 
for it is witnessed of him. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. We'll read a little bit more. When, when you see this on the legal requirements of bodily descent, in Levitical priesthood, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. That was the tribe of Levi. But you go deeper into this. Even if you were of the tribe of, of Levi, a descendant of Aaron, you still could not perform your priestly duties if you had one of 142 different physical imperfections. And some of those are listed in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 16 through 23. So let's go on. Talking of Christ, who says, but by the power of an indestructible life, his life, death, and resurrection, for it was witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect nothing was fulfilled achieved completed and being able to have the relationship restored with God but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God the beauty of Christ is his life verifies that he is an anchor set so that when our eyes are open to that, it is such a draw. You can remember in your own life, if you were a follower, when that draw began and your eyes were opening and the draw continued to the beauty of Christ. But you'll notice in the text, it also says, uh, uh, in comparison to the weaknesses. Uh, one of the challenges that we have is the same one that the Hebrew followers had at this day. They were experiencing persecution. Uh, it hadn't drawn blood yet, but there was ostracization. Uh, they were feeling it socially and even beginning to feel the pinch financially because they were followers of Christ. And one of the things that they would do because of that is just go back to what was familiar and comfortable. Let me just go back to find peace. Anytime you and I deal with pain over time, we want to go back to our peaceful place. And what's sad is sometimes in, in Christianity, we can actually go back to a peaceful practice we once had and stress that more than going to Christ who is our peace. Uh, for example, in, in, in my age, I grew up with the era of Sunday school. So in our mind, if things are going awry, I better get to Sunday school. Because that's just what I should be doing. I had good experiences there. Uh, you could also say whether it is uh, with a Sunday school or not. You can say, well, I can just remember my catechism. Maybe I need to rehearse that. Or, or maybe I need to go back to my baptism and just focus on that and, 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 and relive that moment. Or going back to all the actions regarding a life with Christ and suddenly we're putting our peace in the actions rather than in the person of Christ and that's what you were seeing happening among these Jewish followers let's go back to the familiarity of the peace of what we had believed under the Levitical system and let's just do that we find peace in that so we won't be in pain because of that and each of us do the same thing even if you're a follower if you put your peace in any activity other than the person of Christ. Okay. Uh, I, I had that happen in, in real life. Um, there was a, a time I received a call. One of our church members at a church I served previously. 
um, said that her dad had several strokes, was in the hospital, would I go see him? I said, sure. So um, I arrived, she was there with her dad, and uh, I just began to ask spiritual questions about his background, and he, through a, a, a stroke-worked tongue, was able to slowly communicate that he felt he was a follower, and he tied it to vacation Bible school as a child. And how God is so wise with this timing of putting people together and having similar experiences. Uh, my salvation experience uh, occurs at, uh, began with a backyard Bible club. My mom was teaching it. And backyard Bible club is basically vacation Bible school and a chain link fence. So I just began to tell him about my experience as a six-year-old. And God began to open my eyes and the questions were answered and the experience that was there. And I said, but still, just a few years after that, I can still remember lying in my twin bed at night. Our family had had our nice little prayer time and Bible story time. But I, I just remember praying, Jesus, if I didn't understand what I was doing at six, I want you to know I really do. And I believe. And I want to be yours. There was just an assurance there. I told him that. And I said, you know, do you have that assurance? Would you like to? So why don't we tell him? So in a struggling tongue from a stroke, I saw this older gentleman pray and say to Jesus, I believe. I follow you. It's a sweet thing. But sometimes we have to get beyond all the different activities to get to the one who truly is the bridge to God. Christ himself. Beautiful thing. All right, let's, let's continue on. So then, if this is true, then why should these Hebrew followers truly double down on trusting Jesus? Why should you and I double down on trusting Jesus? Well, there's two short answers that are provided in the remainder of the chapter. Uh, God's oath and Jesus' permanence. Uh, regarding God's oath, we talk about this at the end of Hebrews chapter 6. But now in chapter 7, verses 20 through 22, here's what you read. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, Christ, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now when did God swear this? We don't know when God swore, swore this in scripture legitimately. But in my mind it is before the foundations of the world. Because in Ephesians chapter 11. Uh, the foundations of the world. Uh, the father planned salvation even before that. So he's working this out. But the beautiful thing about this is the, the statement. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Actually is about 900 years old. By the time these Hebrew readers hear it. God inspired David to write this in Psalm 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back forever. You are a priest like Melchizedek. God is so good. But that's the reason this word guarantee is used there. You need to understand this word guarantee. It's a beautiful word. It refers to a person who guarantees someone else's overdraft at a bank. Or posts bail for a prisoner assuming they will show up for the trial. 
This is Christ being the guarantor of our debt. The guarantor that I have sinned against a holy God. And I have a long list of those sins. But in Christ, with what he has done through his crucifixion, through his resurrection, through his ascension, he can stand before God on my behalf saying, I've got them covered. I am the guarantee. You'll find the same thing said in a beautiful way in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 13. Where it calls Christ basically our earnest. The Holy Spirit our earnest. Which is like a down payment for a house. You put it down the contract because you're saying this is going through. Christ says I am the down payment. This salvation is occurring because of me. What a beautiful bridge you can trust, but also because of its permanence. Uh, one of the frustrations that I have at my age is when I have to ask something medically. I talk about my insurance and I have to call the provider. And then go through the list of automated voices and push buttons. You know, my generation, I just want to talk to somebody. So, uh, I'm going through all the little buttons and I finally get a voice. And I have learned from experience, as soon as I get a voice, I want to learn their name and their extension. Because at some point during the process, they may put me on hold and they push a wrong button and I am gone. And I have to start this process all over again. I've already prepared and gone halfway into my spiel... And now I have to do this all over again with somebody who doesn't understand why I'm there to begin with. Furthermore, they may not even be as good as the first person I got. All that is in my mind when I talk about Jesus' permanence. Look at verses 23 through 25. Since God identified Aaron and his descendants, the tribe of Levi, to be priests, the Jews have had a steady flow of priests. I'm sorry, I'm reading the commentary that I'm, I'm writing. Uh, let me read the text. <laughs> Uh, the former priests, verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his permanent priesthood because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. At the time when this was written to the Jewish believers, it was written that there's probably around 20,000 priests of the Jewish people at that time. But what happens to them is what happened to the priests before them and the priests after them. They can't continue on because they die. It's like getting somebody you're talking to at the insurance place and then suddenly you're cut off. You've got to start over with somebody new. But not with Christ. Christ is the one who always is on the line. Always guiding. Always with the answer. Always can be trusted. Because he alone, according to the word priest, is the only bridge builder of salvation to a relationship with God. And that lasts forever. Uh, unlike pastors, um, Around 2003, Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, began to do... He passed away, but just before then, he did a survey of pastors and ministry leaders and, and came up with some sobering statistics. Uh, I know it sounds dated, but I can give you an encouragement that though they sound dated, they are actually up to date. Here's some things he learned. 
80% of seminary and Bible school graduates who enter the ministry will leave the ministry within the first five years. Talking with a colleague I teach with at Grimke, the new statistic is 90% within the first five to ten years. Bright survey also said that 90% said that the ministry uh, was completely different than what they thought it would be before they entered the ministry. And that 90% said the hardest thing about ministry is dealing with uncooperative people. For which I have to remind the fellow pastors I teach, don't you understand you are among them? You are part of them. And you are uncooperative too. Uh, Though the numbers are dated, the message is relevant. The reason Levitical priesthood couldn't build an adequate bridge to God is the same reason pastors can't. Both the priests and the pastor today are flawed. Physically and in other ways. We die, we fade. Jesus doesn't. Never has, never will. It's a praise God moment. So, how can you trust the reputation of Christ the Builder? I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going back to to Roebling. He finally finished that suspension bridge over the Niagara Gorge River. And uh, before any passenger train was to take it, he wanted to test it. This wasn't going to be uh, just your normal bridge for people to walk across. This would be one where there would be carriages. Now, that's 1850s, so horse-drawn carriages. Uh, But also, there would be trains on a second level. So what he decided to do on March 16th is take the heaviest engine he could find, train engine. It was 28 tons. And then also attached to it 20 boxcars and double-loaded them. And took it across. Slowly. Wanting to watch and make sure on the day that it passed the test uh, I I love this Roebling wrote the following to his family and this is provided by uh, Lewis and Wilkins Uh, Roebling harbored a, a quiet but deep satisfaction he revealed in the opening of such great commerce but uh, he reveled in the opening of such great commerce but even better the separation that had long existed between two strong countries had been spanned he was pleased with the harmony economy grace and soundness of its structure but most of all he revisited the elemental purpose he wrote to his family No one's afraid to cross. No one's afraid to cross. That's the beauty of looking to Christ. He alone is the bridge builder to our our life with God. And did in such a way that neither male or female, Greek, which means anybody other than Jew, Gentile, anybody else other than Jew, it's for all. Regardless of your status, regardless of your background, regardless of your shame or guilt that we all have, the beauty of Christ is the bridge that he built can be trusted. He did it first, and he did it with the hardest weight that could ever be carried. For his sacrifice, he had to put all the sins on him. 
all sins, your sins, my sins, to appease the wrath of a holy God. And there's something beautiful about this. Uh, when, it, when it talks somewhere, I think it's, my, my, I didn't have this in my notes, my mind's just going off somewhere. Uh, when it talks about uh, Christ having ascended after his sacrifice, there's something beautiful about that. If you, you go through the Old Testament where they offer the sacrifices, when it was a pleasing aroma to God, it would ascend. And that means God has accepted it. The beauty of Christ with his sacrifice, with his ascension, and now his setting as our high priest as God accepted it. The debt is paid. He's co-signed our sin. Debt's paid. It's covered by Christ. Therefore, regardless of your background, you can draw near to God because of the bridge Christ built. You just trust him. Fair enough? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness, your holiness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your justice and yet your grace and your mercy. I praise you that you are jealous and that you are jealous for your holiness. I praise you, Father, that your jealousy over your holiness leads to your wrath against sin. I praise you, Father, that your wrath against sin also gave opportunity to display your great love and that you took on the sin as Christ. You bore it. Sacrificed Christ for us to display your love for us and that we might have a relationship with you because of Christ. Father, for each of us here who have experienced that, I pray in these moments, overwhelm us with such gratitude overwhelm us with awe over your love father overwhelm us with your holiness that you did not compromise oh father let us be thankful for the bridge made by christ and the joy that by your spirit you guided us across for others father who are uncertain or just confident that they haven't experienced that with Christ. Father, I pray that you would continue to do as, as your scripture said. Uh, lift up Christ to them in such a way that there's a drawing power. Do it repetitively, Father. May it be in conversations. May it be in things heard. May it be in things read. Uh, things seen. Memories that are brought to mind. Father, I just pray that you would do that. So they might experience the beauty of what Christ achieved, what Christ fulfilled, what Christ perfected, what Christ completed. Away from our sinful life to have a life with God. So Father, in these next moments, I pray that you'll just let us be personal with you and you be personal with us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. You've been listening to a message by Mark Beckton, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.